Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Are you ready for the first big storm of the winter? There's been a unique discovery in the Red Hill Valley. A remarkable person waves goodbye to the Boys and Girls Club, and we recap the year in business and politics. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Well, as you very well know, the city of Hamilton, uh, you and I and everybody else in the city, is preparing to battle this impending winter storm that's expected to include everything from rain to snow to perhaps some flash freezing, very strong winds, everything and the kitchen sink is being thrown into this. And here to talk about how the city is getting ready is Peter Snealis, the manager of roadway maintenance with the city of Hamilton. Peter, good morning. How are you? Not doing too bad yourself. I'm good. Are you and your team ready? Absolutely. We live and breathe this stuff. So we're, uh, we're ready for this. So what are you expecting? Well, this one, we've been tracking this one for a little bit and it has been fairly consistent, but it has been changing as of late, just like the last storm. And uh, it's starting off with quite a bit of rain um, beginning Thursday afternoon and then switching over to snow sometime in the early uh, morning commute on Friday. And the biggest challenge for us is just going to be once that rain and that temperature drops, are we going to get any uh, of that rain bonding to the road and freezing um, before we get about that 10 centimeter accumulation in the afternoon and moving it to Saturday. So what happens when those conditions change? Like This is obviously not your first rodeo. So when we have, you know, snow and ice, some rain mixed in there, high winds, how does the team pivot? Right, so it's very de- storm dependent on how we treat the roads. We've got a, uh, quite a bit of equipment and just how much we send out just depends on how severe it's going to be. So when you're getting something like our previous storm where you're getting that freezing rain initially, what you can do is pre-treat the road with brine or rock salt and that present, prevents any of that ice from bonding to the road. However, when you get something like this where you're getting heavy rain and then that temperature plummets, what that requires us to do a little bit more of is just consistently monitor that weather, have trucks pre-stationed on major routes such as the escarpment. So when we do put material down to try to prevent that bonding, any of that uh, ice or snow from bonding and sticking to the road, uh, we put it down at the appropriate time so it's not going to be washed away by the rain or we're not too late to put it down on the road. So we just try to get ahead of it on some of our priority areas, such as priority one roads like the link or Red Hill, as well as uh, escarpment crossings. Peter Sneolis is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Peter is the manager of roadway maintenance with the city of Hamilton as this winter storm barrels towards our area. Is this a, an all hands on deck kind of scenario? And, and if so, how many snow plowing, ice melting, road clearing vehicles are going to be on on the roads? You know, at this time, this is just for us another storm. Um, we, we've, we've got people here who've been here 35 years, have seen pretty much everything. Um, so we're, we're not too excited one way or the other. We're just prepared for it. And in terms of the amount of equipment we have, we have approximately 160 pieces of combination snowplow equipment that will plow the road. And that's the one with the blade on the front and the side, and as well as putting salt down at the same time, as well as we have about 40 to 50 pieces of sidewalk equipment that will be activated at any time in addition to other pieces of equipment that we can activate 
Now, these might not all be on the road at the same time, and it's very storm dependent, but we'll make sure we do have the appropriate pieces of equipment out there just to ensure the roads are safe for all users. Kind of sounded like an athlete there and treating this storm like every other storm. You know, every one championship game is like any other game. But I mean, when you get a storm like this, big or, or minor, whatever the case is, any anywhere in between, you must get a, a kick or a thrill or a, an adrenaline rush knowing that, the, you know, the service that you're providing is essential to this city functioning absolutely like our team does uh they do get excited when the storm snow comes and the uh, the freezing rain does come they know they've got a responsibility for everybody out there because you are ensuring that everybody is to move around the city safely and that's that could be you know emergency vehicles getting to the hospital people getting to work and as well as our families who you know live here can move around the city safely so we do uh, there is a sense of pride from everybody in our group just to ensure that uh you know the job's done and it's done well Talking about the impending winter storm that's barreling towards us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML with Peter Sneolis, the manager of roadway maintenance with the city of Hamilton. What are the most difficult areas of the city to get to? That's an interesting question. I'd say, you know, it's it probably counterintuitive, but I'd say our, our biggest challenges uh, would be during a storm um, would be in any busy area just due to traffic. So you'd think it, it might be more difficult to get out, uh, you know, in the outskirts of the city, but we generally don't have the traffic out there, so it's easy for our vehicles to get out there. But downtown, when you get a lot of that congestion, it can take a combination plow quite a, you know, an extended period of time to do its route versus if there was nobody on it. So I think our biggest challenge is during rush hour um, and heavy, uh, heavy traffic. I would imagine the escarpment accesses, because we don't have one of them, there's multiple uh, you know, access is up and down the hill would be a bit of a challenge as well. Correct. So, so for any users there that, uh, you know, going up and down those can be a little intimidating, but those are our biggest uh, areas of focus for us. So when it's, we are going to get freezing rain or storm or snow or anything like that, we do pre-treat those to ensure that they are safe. And in some, a situation like this, we make sure that there is a vehicle on these escarpment accesses at all times. Uh, just to ensure that they are uh, safe for all users. Yeah, I got to give your team kudos on the escarpment accesses because when I get down, whether it's the West Fifth Hill or the Queen Street Hill or the Jolly Cut, whatever the case is, I mean, it is almost like a storm has not happened. The road is is that clear and that uh, that well taken care of. Do you say a good luck prayer before a storm like this just <laughs> so that, hey, listen, everyone's safe, everyone does a great job, and things go according to plan? No, this, again, this is uh, this is what we live for. We we like uh, we get excited by this a little bit, and uh, this is just uh, another storm for us to address. We've had, uh, I think, this is the eighth time we've gone out this year. I know it's the cost of doing business, but how much does a storm like this cost typically the the, the city? Ah, uh, that'd be a challenging one to answer, and I don't think I could give you anything uh, clear. But it, it is very dependent on, um, you know, the length of uh the storm will be will be and uh, if you look back to january of this year that extended storm uh we got something 50 to 70 centimeters of snow that took us about three to four weeks to fully clean up so that was a extremely expensive storm but when you get something like this it's just a little bit of a you know maybe 10 maybe 15 centimeters of snow we're usually in and out pretty quick so it's not uh, not too bad well, I wish you, Peter, and uh, the whole team at the City of Hamilton uh, Roadway Maintenance Division the best of luck uh, clearing off all the stuff that we're going to get and, and keeping everyone on the roads and on those sidewalks safe as well. Thanks for the time today.
Appreciate it. Take care. Peter Snealis, manager of roadway maintenance with the city of Hamilton. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. If you love dinosaurs, you know, you have to be five to do so. If you're really fascinated by the creatures that roam the earth so many moons ago, this will definitely be of, of interest to you. Because archaeologists have found now extinct mastodon or woolly mammoth blood residue on stone tools from a 13,000-year-old site right here in Hamilton in the Red Hill Valley. Uh, Ron Williamson is the founder and senior associate of Archaeological Services, Inc. and a member of the excavation and analysis team. Ron, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Thanks for having me. What drew you and your team to the Red Hill Valley in the first place? Well, the Red Hill Valley, when it was being constructed back in the 90s and early 2000s, or before it was constructed, actually, uh, there was a requirement to look at the archaeological heritage all along the expressway. So in the 1990s, we did that. And in the late 90s, about 98 or 99, we found this site, which we call Mount Albion West. It's right near the falls, right on the brow of the escarpment. And uh, here was this site that uh, we were able to determine was that old. So give us a lay of the land of the excavation site. What what does it look like? What is it? What do you see once you're there? So when when the site was discovered, um, it was uh, a, a plowed field. There was material uh, strewn about the surface of the field, which are small pieces of chert. And in and amongst all of that chert is flint. All in the, amongst that, we saw projectile points, and other kinds of flint tools. So we knew we had a site. It was roughly about 50 meters by 50 meters. There were four main concentrations of this stone material on the surface, and that led us to begin to explore that by excavating into the soil there. The soil is not very deep because it's right at the brow of the escarpment, and there's a formation of a certain kind of flint that outcrops there. And um, when you stand up on this site, you can look out over the brow and see the Lake Ontario Basin. You can actually see the QEW from this spot. If, if people want to think about where this is, as you drive up the QE, or the, uh, along the QEW and you take the Red Hill Creek Expressway and you go right up to the top and just as you're going over the escarpment bluff, there's a big hydro tower on your right, and that's where the site was. Hmm. So you find some um, spear points and other tools that were used at the time. What what exactly did you find, and, and what were their conditions like? So it's it's hard. Everybody has to kind of visualize in their mind that the environment was completely different from today. It was kind of a stunted, open spruce forest. Um, if anybody's ever been to the tree line in Canada, that's what it's like. It's like tundra. So um, the glaciers had just receded, so it was cooler. It, there was far less legita- uh, vegetation. You couldn't, you you wouldn't have any of the deciduous forest you have today. And so these people were living there, probably monitoring herds of caribou and indeed extinct megafauna like. Uh, Asian elephant types, uh, mastodon or mammoth. So the tools that we found a number of years ago, we decided to submit them for analysis to a laboratory to Dr. Cam Walker 
and and uh, look for remnants of the blood protein that these um, that would have been left by the animals that that these folks were were manipulating. So the bones and the flesh, um, and we got startling results. Not only did we get uh, mastodon or mammoth blood residue on one of the tools, we we also got canid. Canid is dog, so it's either wolf or or fox. Uh, in one case, we believe it was probably domestic dog. We know people had domestic dog with them at that time from sites further west in North America. So this is a really important site. At the time that this site is occupied, there's really, I can only point to two sites that were, that have been identified in Ontario that, that are substantial sites dating to this period. There's an even earlier one south of, south of it and, and other ones a little bit later. But this is uh, now a very important site because it's demonstrated that people were actually uh, butchering uh, these mastodon and therefore likely hunting them and bringing them down. So to paint a picture in people's eyes, let's just, let's just, let's think about the group sitting on top of that bluff uh, at the Red Hill Creek Expressway. You're sitting up on on top of that bluff. You're looking down over the Ontario Basin. The water is several kilometers further out, but you spot a mastodon and the group descends down into the flatlands and they bring down the mastodon. They use this tool either there or maybe back at the site. And 13,000 years later, we take this tool, examine it, and the blood protein residue was hidden away, sequestered, if you like, in the cracks of this tool and we identify it so that we can see what people were actually doing that long ago. That is unbelievable and simply amazing that that discovery was made and we can make that connection. Ron, really appreciate the connection we made today uh, between ourselves and our listeners, and I'm sure they uh, found the story uh, very thrilling and uh, energizing in terms of finding some other things, who knows, in our area. Really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. You're really welcome. Ron Williamson is the founder and senior associate of Archaeological Services, Inc., also a member of the excavation and analysis team that uncovered this blood residue on these stone tools from 13,000 years ago. Pretty cool. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The executive director of the Boys and Girls Club of Hamilton Halton is calling it a career after 33 years with the organization. Tomorrow, in fact, is his last day on the job. Glenn Harkness is the executive director of the Boys and Girls Club Hamilton Halton and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Glenn, good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Brian? I'm good. 33 years. When you look at that number, when you look back at all the days in at club, uh, what what comes to mind? You know, I think the, the just the busyness of the the club and the number of children, youth, and families that we serve on a on a daily basis, and you know, you you put all that together and try to add up the amount of of children, youth, and kids that you know, came through our front doors in 33 years is, is just mind boggling. And it's, um, it was a privilege to lead such a great organization for 33 years. And it's in great shape and I'm passing it on to great hands. So I know that uh, it certainly is going to carry on and be successful without me, but I'm pretty proud of my 
33 years. And um, yeah, I'm certainly going to, to miss it too. And I've had some, some extremely amazing highlights during their, those 33 years that I'll cherish forever. Do you remember your first day on the job? Do you know, I do remember the first day on the job, just a young guy with hair and um, walking in the, the front door of our old facility back then and um, just thought, Again, I left a, a career at Mohawk College to come to the Boys and Girls Club, and um, I knew um, just by walking in the front door, Boys and Girls Clubs, they're, they're, there's a feeling to it, and you can feel that immediately when you walk in the door. We're, we're, we're very, very different. We're a grassroots organization that just want to make a positive difference in the, in the lives of children and youth, and and that, that's our mission every single day. And certainly 900CHML has helped us with that. And I heard your opening and would encourage your listeners to give to the Christmas Tree of Hope because I, I, I see the positive effect that that um, does, Rick. So you're, you're on there promoting it. And thank you for doing that. We're one of the children's uh, charities that receive gifts every single year. And it was a truckload this year going out to... Hmm children and youth that are deserving of those gifts. So I want to thank 900CHML uh, for doing that and all your work with the Christmas Tree of Hope. We have a couple more minutes with Glenn Harkness, the outgoing executive director of the Boys and Girls Club, Hamilton Halton, after 33 years with the organization. Has there been one constant throughout in terms of a, a challenge or an image that you have or a feeling that you feel? Yeah, I think the, the feeling is mostly positive. And I know when I look back, the, the team that I have here um, um, had a positive impact on the community, and they'll continue to do that long after I'm gone. But there's mostly, there has been challenges, of course, and it, it seems like every time there's an election or uh, at any level that we have to scramble to, um, if a new government comes in, either at the municipal level or the provincial level or the federal level, we need to scramble to get to know them and their platforms so that they know us. And, and certainly funding's always been a challenge, but we, we work through those, those things. And we, there's something that we call um, the Boys and Girls Club way. And we um, identify an issue and a problem or we want to help a family. We do that first and then think sometimes, oh, where are we going to get the money to do this? But we want to solve the issue first, but certainly more highlights than anything else. And I think back to when I started, there was one service location and now there's 38 service locations throughout Hamilton and in Halton. I think that's one of my proudest uh, things. And, and of course, I'm known for in 2011, I ran a marathon in the North Pole to raise money for the Boys and Girls Club. That certainly was a highlight. And I think that you'll remember, because 900CHML was heavily involved in this, another highlight for me was in 2007, where Hamilton's own Brian Mello won Canadian Idol. Mm -hmm. And he was a, a young boy here and credits the Boys and Girls Club for giving him the confidence to go out there on stage and sign up for Canadian Idol and, and of course, at the end, uh, win that. So, yeah, and then the another highlight with the major renovation to the main location here in 2003, just to bring it up to um, uh, standards with respect to it being a modern building now with a 
pool viewing area and an upgraded um, tech center for children to use our computers. So, wow. yeah, there's been like mostly highlights, but um, certainly some challenges. For sure. But that's what makes us all stronger. You've uh, you've left a, an amazing legacy. There are thousands of kids who can say that uh, they knew Glenn Harkness and it changed their lives forever. And we thank you for doing so. And we thank you for coming on the show today. Well, I thank you very much, Rick, and um, happy holidays to you and yours. Absolutely, and right back at you. Glenn Harkness, Executive Director of the Boys and Girls Club, Hamilton Halton. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Let's flip back the page and look at some of the biggest stories in business in 2022. I want to, again, apologize to Canadians and to our customers for the network outage that they experienced. We know how important networks are. Um, to our customers and to Canadians and the role they play. And we take that responsibility very seriously. Yeah, that Rogers outage was a gut punch to that communications giant. And, well, it impacted millions from coast to coast to coast. Here to talk about that story and many others in the year that was in business is Marvin Ryder, professor in the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. Marvin, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Glad to be with you. Uh, well, let's start with the Rogers outage, the Rogers-Shaw merger, or I guess lack thereof, uh, one of the big stories of the year. Well, for sure. Uh, when you have the number one player in telecommunications trying to join forces with the number four player in telecommunications, we knew it wasn't going to be an easy road. This was first announced actually a year ago, uh, and it worked its way torturously through the uh, competition bureau to get various things. And just as things started to come together for them, they had this major outage, which reminded us all that, well, maybe, maybe putting two of the big guys together wasn't the best. It also had a response. Now the big three have agreed that they'll back each other up in case there's ever an outage again. A little unusual to see them coming together in that way. But boy, one of the big stories of the year, the biggest merger in Canadian history. Still, we don't know how it's going to turn out. Probably the number one story overall would be just the cost of living, everything from inflation to interest rates. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I mean, I think certainly for the average person, this was a crash course in economics that nobody signed up for. Uh, a year ago, when we started the year, infl- uh, the interest rates were 0.25%. We end the year at 4.25%, one of the biggest jumps in interest rates in Canadian history. Of course, we did this to fight inflation. A year ago, inflation was 3.5%. We thought that was terrible. Of course, before the year was out, it got up to 8.1%. Now now we know we've ended the year at 6.8%, still far too high. While all that's going on, of course, uh, unemployment went the other direction. We have the lowest unemployment rate in Canadian history at 5.1%. We have nearly 950,000 jobs that are unfilled at the moment. And so as we head into 2023, there's lots of worry about a recession perhaps halfway through 2023 and yet we have these conflicting numbers that no one knows exactly which way this is going to land looking at the biggest business stories of 2022 with marvin ryder professor in the degroot school of business at mcmaster university you're listening to good morning hamilton on 900 chml certainly covid still had a stranglehold on how businesses and how individuals um went about their lives yeah, I think, I think Rick, we have a tendency to forget bad news quickly. And, and again, a year ago, in January of 2022, Omicron suddenly appeared. This variant suddenly appeared. We renewed some lockdowns. There were flight restrictions, travel restrictions. 
those didn't lift until uh, March, April, and we didn't get rid of the Arrive Canada app until Jan until July of the year. Even now, we are still under the, a pandemic. COVID hasn't quite gone away. We think like it has, but clearly COVID and its effects as the economy reemerged, another big story for the year. Another big one, too, is the business of hockey, which in 2022 really took a beating. Yeah, I, I hate to call this a, a, even a business story, but it, it certainly is a sad story. Uh, during the year unfolded, we learned that Hockey Canada had set up some large multi-million dollar funds so they could quietly pay any sexual harassment allegations. As these funds came to life, rather, rather than finding ways to stop sexual harassment in, in hockey, almost saying, well, it's a fat uncle, please, so let's just pay out. Uh, the Hockey Canada saw its board and CEO fired. It saw all the major advertisers and sponsors go away, tens of millions of dollars of sponsorship, and we're ending the year with a new CEO and a new board. Hopefully, they'll bring some some uh, respectability back to the game. Well, Hockey Canada got uh, a big old body check. Uh, some of the world's major automakers are investing billions in the next generation of automotive engineering. Yeah, when you when you talk about climate change and, and what have you, one of the big questions is electric vehicles. And we've heard every major car manufacturer in the world say that by 2030, they no longer want to sell gasoline-powered cars and light-duty trucks. That raised a question mark about Ontario's auto industry. It's been a major employer for us. Would the major car companies reinvest? And you'll remember Jerry Diaz, uh, the president of Unifor, challenged the automakers to do this. And in this last year, we have seen truly billions of dollars of investment announced, whether it's GM, Ford, uh, Chrysler, or Stellantis, the head office of that. We've even seen a Belgian company say it's going to build a, a battery-making plant None of this has been finished. This is all announcements in 2022, but it bodes well for the future of the auto industry in Ontario. Wish we had about 10 more minutes to talk about things like uh, Ukraine, uh, Elon Musk's new toy being Twitter, and all the other great business stories that have gone by. But I really appreciate your time, not only today, but all year long, Marvin. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Enjoy the uh, the storm as well, if you can. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We'll find a way to rest and relax during the storm. Great to hear. Marvin Ryder, professor in the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Unequivocally, we won't touch the green belt. Uh, unlike other governments that don't listen to people, I've heard it loud and clear. People don't want me touching the green belt. We won't touch the green belt. We'll figure out uh, how to clean up this housing mess and this housing crisis that we're facing in a different fashion. But all my friends, I listen to you. You don't want me touching the green belt. We won't touch the green belt. Oops, he did it again. Premier Doug Ford, one of the big stories of 2022 in provincial politics. We had an election, a wild negotiation with CUPE education workers, a controversial housing plan that has been implemented. It has been one heck of a year in provincial politics. And here to highlight some of the highlights and lowlights, Kim Wright, principal and founder, Wright Strategies. Kim, good morning. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Is there one issue or story or topic that jumps out to you to say this is the this is the number one provincial political issue of 2022? I think you could categorize it in change and backtracking and uh, change again, really. Uh, we've seen this a lot from the premier. Well, he will make these absolute statements of not touching X or doing Y. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, 
Uh, wait, we changed that again. We saw this, you know, we've seen this in healthcare. We've seen this with the education workers, which felt a little, I don't know about you, Rick, but it felt very back to the future for me when I saw the education workers. I remember being part of, you know, a, you know policy around uh, the Harris government cuts. And I have not seen an education workers rally uh, in the way that I in 25 years, the way that we did with the QB uh, strikes. So all of these things back and forth, let alone the massive changes to municipalities, to planning act, uh, all of these will have repercussions for quite some time. But absolutely, uh, the premier likes to change his mind when it suits him. One of those major developments that will have repercussions for every community, really, is chewing up the green belt and this Bill 23, this housing plan, which many municipal leaders have said is going to greatly impact their revenue generating stream in association with development charges. Do you see him flip flopping on this in 2023? I think the most important component of that is the massive amounts of money that will be taken from municipalities. I've seen hundreds of millions of dollars uh, being the estimates, 500 million here, you know, a couple hundred million dollars there. That impacts your roads, that impacts your uh, water, wastewater, that impacts your recreation centers. All of that money has to come from somewhere. Uh, and if you're not getting it from the development charges, they're going to have to raid other services. So this is going to be, there's certainly municipalities are not going to be made whole by the province and certainly not long-term. So what does that look like for municipal financing? What does that look like for your, your, uh, your property tax base? Because most of these big items that you expect the municipalities to pay for are often paid for either from your property taxes or those development charges. And if we don't have development charges, you're going to see rate increases. We're looking back at the year that was in provincial politics on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML with Kim Wright, the principal and founder of Wright Strategies. The healthcare crisis is not going away anytime soon. No one seems to have the right answer. And from a provincial perspective, not only Premier Doug Ford, but all the other premiers and territorial leaders are saying, hey, Ottawa, we need more money. Do you see something changing in the months ahead? Oh, I, I would hope to be Pollyanna enough after the pandemic to believe that we will have some changes. But what we've seen with uh, RSV and, and and the flu bugs that have been going through has put an even more enormous strain on our healthcare system. We've seen uh, sick kids in Toronto uh, canceling sur surgeries for young children uh, to, to combat the um, emergency room crisis. This is going to continue to get worse until we have a, a, a comprehensive shift in how service is delivered. And part of that is going to be how administration is being funded or not funded. And really, how do you reallocate that money into frontline services? How do you recruit nurses? How do you take all of these foreign trained credentials? Uh, nurses and doctors and practitioners and integrate them into the healthcare system. If we keep just doing finger pointing and saying, well, we need private service or this, that or the other, it actually doesn't get to the heart of the matter. It just becomes a red herring. There's a lot of money in the healthcare system, Rick. What we need to do is have an overhaul of how it's delivered, making sure that people never have to pull out their credit card to pay for it. Uh, but how do we look at those service delivery models uh, going forward? Because the population is aging. There isn't enough workers in the system. We need to have a new, new balance. And if the province and the feds continue just to finger point at each other, 
we as people who need the healthcare system are going to continue to to pay the price for that. We only got about a minute, but I do want to circle back to the QP education workers issue and the use of the notwithstanding clause, which I, I thought was the worst thing that this Ford government or any government could have done in this regard in trampling workers' rights. The next provincial election isn't for another four years. Is that blowback going to stick that long? Yeah, I think it is, because I don't think this is the last time you'll see the premier threaten the notwithstanding clause. And to do it to trample workers' rights to collectively bargain, even if you're not a a new Democrat or somebody who's big on supporting the House of Labour, that was a bridge too far for for people in every workplace, because they recognized that once you did that, once the premier did that to CUPE, they could literally go into any workplace and impose contracts, public or private sector. And that became a very scary proposition. The use of the notwithstanding clause by this premier on very petulant matters, uh, when we saw it on the cutting of Toronto City Council in half, and and, and on trampling workers' rights to collectively bargain, uh, has become a lightning rod. And I think now that this becomes not just cutting politicians, but how we impact uh, workplaces and, and your ability to uh, negotiate with your employers, that is going to be a bridge too far. And I think that's going to be a challenge for the premier to message track all the way through the rest of this term. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. Kim, thank you for your time today and throughout the year. Happy holidays. All the best in 2023. Thank you so much and uh, happy holidays. That is Kim Wright, principal and founder of Wright Strategies. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The federal government has invoked the Emergencies Act to supplement provincial and territorial capacity to address the blockades and occupations. My oh my, there have been several major stories in Canada's federal political scene this year, including uh, the Freedom Convoy, the Emergencies Act, uh, support for Ukraine. There's a new leader of the federal Conservatives. We have a supply and confidence agreement that is somehow, some way, keeping this government together. Tim Powers is the chairman of Summa Strategies and the managing director of Abacus Data and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Tim, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good, Rick. How are you? I'm good. I, I, I'm calling it the biggest federal political story this year is the Emergencies Act slash Freedom Convoy. And I don't even think it's close. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I don't think it's close either. And look, I don't want to come across as the whiny guy from uh, who lives in Ottawa. I'm not an Ontarian, as you know. But uh, it was a massive story. And it wasn't just because of the occupation. It's because that act was invoked. First time it was ever invoked in its current form. And of course, Um, The Prime Minister's father, Pierre Trudeau, invoked the previous form of that act uh, to deal with the FLQ crisis. It was um, it it, it dominated the news agenda because it also captured, I think, Rick, so many of the currents of discontent that were at play in the country at the time. They all kind of manifested themselves in the Freedom Convoy and history was made. And we'll see in this coming February. Uh, what the commission says about the appropriateness of the invocation of that act. It grabbed uh, not only national but international headlines as well. Maybe close behind is this health care crisis that we're mm. in and the fights that the prime minister and the federal government is having with the premiers. Do you see this coming to some kind of head in 2023? I don't know, Rick. I find this is the most faux story. We, we've been in healthcare crisis for a long time. Unfortunately, it's been heightened because the pan, what the pandemic did to the healthcare system, 
I mean, until we actually decide, we as Canadians, that we want to look at the way we deliver health care in the, in, the in the country and, and look at uh, proper sharing responsibilities between provinces and feds and private and public, I think this is going to continue to play itself out because otherwise the federal government and the provincial governments are just going to make it about you owe me a check for X amount of dollars. I don't know if that's going to change the life materially for anybody sitting in an emergency room in Hamilton this morning. Yeah, I agree with you. Tim Powers is the chairman of Summa Strategies and the managing director at Abacus Data. We're looking back at 2022 and the year in federal politics. Pierre Poiliev rose mm -hmm. to the highest height within his party, uh, becoming the new leader of the Conservatives. The question is, does he have what it takes to end the latest Trudeau dynasty? To be TBD. Um, I <laughs> I, I think obviously that that's the safest answer I can give you. Uh, his party thinks he does. Uh, his caucus is united. That's the first time, as you know, that's been the case, Rick, since Stephen Harper was the leader of the Conservative Party and won three elections. The other thing that works for Pierre Polyev is I think the last prime minister, if I'm right, Rick, to win four elections in a row, and it's only been done once, I believe, was Mackenzie King. Um, uh, you might need to haul out Mackenzie King's dog to remind everybody else who Mackenzie King was. Of course, the reference to the dog is Mackenzie King talked ghosts and the like. But uh, <laughs> for those who don't know, I'm even having to qualify it. So it was that long ago. He's got a shot. Depends when the election is. Depends what happens with the recession. Depends what happens with Justin Trudeau. But conservatives believe he is the best hope for them to get back into power. Last one for you. we got about a minute. Does this sure. liberal NDP supply and confidence agreement survive 2023? It, it survives if Justin Trudeau doesn't want an election. If Justin Trudeau wants an election, it's uh, done like dinner. Uh, and uh, he will uh, blow it up at the first opportunity if he thinks he can beat Polyev. Mr. Singh, the NDP leader, more interested in keeping it going because he believes he can extract benefits from it. So, uh, again, another TBD. How about that, Rick? I'm so bold at predictions. I do really <laughs> well in Vegas. Your crystal ball's cloudy today. Well, I, I, I am in am in New York with three children, and it's a busy day. So, <laughs> you know, snow, cloud, haze, I've got it all today. Well, I appreciate your time and spending some time with us today and throughout the year. All the best in the holiday season and in the new year. You take care. Happy holidays and Merry Christmas to everybody in Hamilton. Bye, Rick. Tim Powers is the chairman of Summa Strategies and the managing director of Abacus Data. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode and make sure you rate and review.